Look what God's doing. You might think, why do we have BLESS stories? BLESS is an acronym that's begin with prayer, start praying for people, listen to people well, not just with your ears, but with your heart and your mind, and then eat, eat together, enjoy coffee together. S is serve, and then the other S is share. Share your story and share about God. See, God has blessed us to bless other people. And whenever we are going around during the week, wherever we live, work, learn, or play, God will work in you and work through you. And we are learning together, right? We're growing together how we can bless other people. And God is opening up our eyes and our hearts and our homes, and he's doing wonderful things to transform lives. And we're on an adventure with God. So God blesses us to bless other people, and let's keep doing that together. It's inspiring what we saw happening at Ingrid's house. And I also asked for your prayers this week. I'm scheduled, Lord willing, to give a TED Talk, and it's on hope. And I've never done this before. So you know how it is when you're doing something you've never done before. And also, they have a time limit of 12 minutes. Like, it's hard for me to, like, keep it under a half hour. You know, 12 minutes and no notes. No notes gives me a little anxiety. I got to turn to the Lord because I like to look down and have some notes. Uh, it's really my prayer, though, and prayer request that I could share about Jesus in that space and in that platform where that's not usually what happens, and then how to do that and what God will do uh, in that time this week. So thank you for prayers. We are in a time of fasting and praying as we begin this year, three weeks. It's not that the rest of the year we ignore prayer and fasting, but these three weeks are in intentional and set apart. And it comes from the Bible, Daniel fasting and praying for 21 days. And as we come up to the final lap and the third week, listen, it's the third week, Daniel in the last week of the 21 days, there's revelation, there's clarity, there's courage, there's victory in the spiritual battle. And I'm encouraging you to keep going this last week and watch what God will do in the last week. So let's keep seeking him together and let's keep uh, encouraging each other because I'm excited to get reacquainted with some particular foods and you probably are too, but God has something this week. So we're seeking God. We're in a series right now, Holy Moments, celebrating how God intervenes in our lives. And today we're in the book of Esther, Esther chapter four. You can open up your Bible, find it on your phone. If you need a Bible, let us know. Esther chapter four, we can't just watch. We can't just watch. And Esther is someone who both inspires and challenges us. And I think we're gonna feel both today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, your provision, your protection. Thank you for bringing us your word and how you speak to us and communicate to us. How you nourish us. God, how you heal, you restore, you bring victories. God, we're praising you today as we acknowledge that every good thing is a gift from you. And we are gonna be intentional about thanking you and also blessing other people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have an opportunity now that you'll never have again. It's a holy moment. The windows, they close. But you have an opportunity right now that you'll never have again. Have you identified that opportunity? And how are you responding to the opportunity that God has given to you? Let it sink in that you'll never have it again. It's for right now. Because God has given you the ability and he's given you the opportunity. And is your desire what God wants? You have the ability, do you have the desire to step up in this opportunity to really bless some other people? That was the message. And Mordecai brought that to Esther. And the same message is true for us today. You have opportunities right now that you will never have again. 
Let's process that truth. Let's abide with Jesus. Let's look at how Esther responded. And her conclusion is that I can't just watch this opportunity go by. And I think we'll resonate with that conclusion. We can't just watch this opportunity go by. We're in Esther chapter four. And the first truth that I wanna highlight from this text is that God has both placed you and prepared you for this opportunity. It's not coincidence, it's not an accident. God has prepared you and God has placed you for this opportunity. And as we look at chapter four, verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. The context is important when you read the Bible. And the context here is about 486 years before Christ. There's a kingdom and it's a Persian kingdom It used to be a Babylonian kingdom. But in 539, the Babylonians took over from the Persians. And then chronologically, you see it goes from Babylon to the Medes and Persians to the Greeks and then the Romans. And here we have a setting where there's a Persian kingdom and there's four main characters. There's the king named Xerxes. And then we have Esther, who's now the queen. Very unexpected, very unlikely. She's Jewish and the Jews were taken and captive in exile in Babylon. And now, even though she was in exile or people were in exile, God has raised her up to be queen. There's also Mordecai, that's her cousin. And Esther lost her parents and Mordecai adopted Esther. They're very, very close. And then there's someone named Haman who's opposing all the Jewish people and wants them wiped out on the face of the earth. Now, you can hear the tension between those four, and it only escalates as you read the story. In chapter 3, verse 13, there's a decree. And it says, dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Young and old, women and little children. On a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. The historian Herodotus says that there was a system in the Persian kingdom and they could spread the news quickly with a horse and a rider. And the horse and rider would go for one day as fast and far as they could. And then they would take the news to the next horse and rider and a fresh rider the next day. And it didn't matter if it was cold, snowing, raining. It didn't matter if they were tired, if it was dark. They were so committed to spreading the news and the decree so that the people could hear what was going on. And I say, if they were that committed to spreading a decree of death, how committed are we to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ? How urgent do we share the good news? These couriers, they would give it their everything to spread this decree of death. You have been given a message of hope and life to a world that is searching and starving for it right now. So don't be silent with the good news. As you read this passage, there's anti-Semitism. It's always existed in human history against the Israelites. Today, if you went to the Middle East, there are so many groups that would be thrilled if the Israelites were wiped off from the face of this earth. 
They would celebrate if they were killed and destroyed. It's a reality that anti-Semitism is strong. It's a sin to have hatred and try to eliminate any people group. There's no nation above any other nation. There's no ethnicity above any other ethnicity. You're not better and I'm not better than any other person. But sadly, hatred comes in. And in this instance right here, Haman wanted the decree and the king gave in so that the decree was given that all the Israelites would be killed. Now, as you study the Bible, you'll see that God has a plan for the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews are not better than the Gentiles, but God has selected the Jewish people. You could look at Romans chapters nine through 11 and see this plan worked out. In fact, Jesus was Jewish and God came and chose this nation and the purpose was to bless the other nations. I'm not saying that the Israelites then or now are doing everything right. I'm not saying they're always walking close with God, but I am saying that God has a plan for Jews and Gentiles. And when you see this decree and you study it throughout history, this attempt to eliminate the Jews, you know, even before Jesus came to earth, it was more than just a war on a human level, but on a spiritual level, the devil wanted to see the Jews eliminated because knowing that the Messiah would come and be Jewish, the savior would be Jewish. He could eliminate the coming savior as well. You see, when you read the Bible, there's a lot of different layers and levels where God is working. And part of the evidence that God exists and is real is because the Jewish people are still alive today. And God has protected them and they will always be here and no one will ever eliminate them. And God has a plan in the end times for both Jew and Gentile together. And we praise God for his hand of protection. Now, Mordecai brings this message to Esther, but not personally through Hathach. Say, well, who's Hathok? If you study the Bible, maybe you're like, I've heard about Mordecai and I've heard about Esther, but who? Hathok is the one who takes the message from Mordecai and delivers it to the queen Esther. Hathok, who's never really known by many people, is faithful in his role. And do you know how many Hathoks we have at Grace Community Church? Hundreds who are maybe not visible up front, but are faithfully serving God every week. We thank God for all the Hathoks who are here today, loving and serving and caring and being faithful behind the scenes. And Esther's informed of this decree. Esther plead for mercy for the people. Approach the king. It's our role to identify realities and know what's on the line. Esther knows what's on the line. The little children are gonna be killed. It's her opportunity to do something to protect, provide, and rescue. And we don't know everything about Mordecai and Esther's faith. We don't know all their ups and downs, but we see here that Mordecai, he has faith. He knows the God of Abraham and Moses and David, and he has confidence in God. And that confidence he has in God is communicated to Esther. And I think because of his confidence in God and then Esther listening, together, we need each other. Together, their confidence in God is even gonna grow. I encourage you to find some people and stay close to them who love God, who are confident in God, who know God's promises. God has a covenant to the people. God will be faithful in his word and his covenant. Have some people around you who are gonna build up your faith and Mordecai and Esther have a special relationship and they really sharpen and encourage each other. And Mordecai points out both sovereignty and responsibility. 
God is sovereign, Esther. If you don't step up, he's going to bring deliverance in a different way. And when you hear about God's sovereignty, you know, he has the final say. He is above all rulers, nations, militaries, and his sovereign hand, that should bring us great comfort and awe. Whenever sovereignty is emphasized in the Bible, it's to comfort us that God is still in control and has a plan, that the story is gonna end well. And also it leads to awe, that in the middle of all the rebellion and the hatred, God is still gonna have the final say. There's sovereignty, Esther, but there's also responsibility. Esther, if you don't do anything, if you're silent during this time, if you sit back during this time, your family is gonna be killed. Like there's gonna be some consequences that roll out with this decree that you don't want. And things get much more difficult for the queen. And it would be so easy for her to kind of fade out, check out, right, peace out. Isn't that what a lot of people want to do when things get difficult? I just kind of want to check out. I'm fading out. Peace out. I'm out. And that's not going to be what Esther does. Because when we abide with Jesus, we start to see situations how he sees them. And we start to have his courage. And God does a redemptive work. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but God is faithful in the most difficult times. See, this is true in Joseph's life. God prepared and placed Joseph. And even though his family mistreated him, and maybe you've felt mistreated recently, they literally threw him in a pit. He was sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, but God was still with him. And that's the key. God is still with you. Don't forget that when things get difficult and you're disappointed in relationships, God is still with you. And God raised him up and he trusted God. And then he had an opportunity in Egypt to bless. And in Genesis chapter 45, you see, this is his heart. He says, and now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He was not bitter, but he looked how he could bless other people. And God raised him up and there was a saving of physical lives and he gave glory to God in that place that was a dark place spiritually and people turned to God and God did that work because he realized God has prepared me and placed me right here. Esther knows that God has given her influence. She was an orphan and God raised her up to be the queen. But she was not the queen just to be the queen. God has placed you where you are, not just to be there. Not just to have a job, not just to live in a neighborhood, not just to have those talents and then sit back and say, wow, I got a house, I got a neighborhood, I got talents. That's not why he does it. No, he sets all of that up so that you will see the purpose in the placement and you will look back and see how he prepared you for this moment. And then when you realize that you move forward by faith and courage, just like Esther. She heard the whisper, she heard the news and the decree and it's time to take action. I was listening to Louis Giglio, and Louis Giglio said, God oftentimes in the Bible calls us sheep. And sheep is not an enormous compliment because if you spend time with sheep, sheep wander. Sheep get stubborn. Sheep wanna go where really the shepherd doesn't want them to go. 
And sometimes they don't know where the nourishment is and they don't understand the dangers over there, but there they go and they're wandering. And when I think about today and followers of Jesus today, this is general, but I see three kind of movements. One movement is towards apostasy. Say, well, what's apostasy? That's when you reject God and his word. That's when you wanna replace God's word for whatever we want in our opinions, in our thoughts. And so what happens? Theology gets messed up. Morality gets messed up. Identity gets messed up. Sexuality gets messed up. Family relationships get messed up because we say, God, we don't wanna do it your way. We're gonna do it our way. In denominations, in churches, in Christian schools, head towards apostasy right now. We're just watching the changes the last 10 years. There's a movement towards apostasy. And that's one option. And then there's another option and it's a movement towards apathy. Well, the pandemic hit and we retreated and there were some restrictions and then things are difficult and they're stressful. So I'm just gonna retreat. I'm just gonna get my little bubble right here. I'm gonna make it as comfortable as I can. You know, I see things happening in the world, but I probably can't do anything about it. I think God kind of gave up on the sound. Yep, all right, let's just, let's go into an apathy mode, kind of indifferent, not gonna risk relationship, not really gonna share my faith. I'm just gonna kind of retreat, try to get comfortable, make the best of it. And I'm telling you with those two options, there's something better. There's something better than apostasy and there's something better than apathy. And the third option, it's what Esther chooses, but it's awakening. It's awakening because she seeks Jesus and she serves and she speaks up and the culture changes. And you are a culture changer. You're not called to apostasy or apathy. That's not God's best for you. That's not you at your best. God is gonna equip you and empower you to take door number three, that's awakening. Move past door number one and door number two. Door number three, let's walk through that together with Jesus. And Esther and Mordecai decide before everything's played out, that they're gonna trust God and keep going forward together. Well, it leads to this sense of urgency and it's wise to regain a sense of urgency. Esther and Mordecai have a sense of urgency. And we read in verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. Her first step in her plan is to pursue God. How often when things get difficult in your life is your first plan, first step, I'm gonna pursue God. I'm not gonna complain. I'm not gonna get into despair. I'm not gonna stress out. I'm not gonna do what typically people do. I'm going to pursue God. That's her reaction. That's a difference maker in terms of a reaction. She's gonna pursue God, fast and pray. In the Bible, fasting and praying together all the time. Fast and pray, fast and pray. When it says fasting here, it's implied prayer. In the book of Esther, God's name isn't mentioned. You just don't see God's name like other books. Well, there's discussion that that's really a literary device that the author is intentionally, instead of mentioning God a couple times, holding back so that when you read it, You're reading it knowing that God's hand is all over this and yet not mentioning the name even highlights more what God is doing in this book. Now that's a literary device. The Bible points to prayer and fasting. The Bible points to God's presence. Sometimes it's very direct and laid out. Other times it's implied. We see both in the book of Esther. 
And there's a participation. When she says all the Jews in Susa, that word all is really, really significant. Imagine all of Grace Community Church praying, all of Grace Community Church fasting, all of Grace Community Church serving, all of Grace Community Church loving our neighbors, all of Grace Community Church blessing the nations. All is significant. Because when you go from a fraction or a percentage that's smaller to all, there's spiritual power and momentum and acceleration that happens. And sometimes it's easier to think, well, I think the pastors and leaders are gonna do that. No, God has called all of us to live out our faith together. And what you see here is that all respond. And not only that, but priorities are shifting. When you fast and pray, priorities shift in your life. Priorities shift because when you get close to God, his thoughts become your thoughts and his heart becomes your heart. And then we're able to see how the culture has caused us to wander and then our priorities shift. And right here, I say it's one before it's one. What does that mean? I say it's already one. The decree is gonna be overturned. It was one before they saw the manifestation of the change. Why? Because they were pursuing God fasting and praying. And God had already declared a superior decree that that decree was gonna be overturned. And God does so much in the praying and fasting. I don't understand, it's a mystery how it works there. Sovereignty, responsibility. All I know is when God's people humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and turn from their sin and repent, God heals, God heals the land. There's renewal, there's revival. God calls us to do that. And they have ears to hear. And so they enter in and God moves on their behalf in the land. There's a purpose that's greater than just your position. And there's a sense of urgency. When things get difficult and dangerous, some followers of Jesus run and some will get things done. When things get difficult and dangerous in the land to really live for God and speak and serve God, Some followers of Jesus will run and some will get things done. Esther and Mordecai are gonna move into part of the solution. You've got a lot of people in your life that will laugh with you, but how many will mourn with you and cry with you? You've got a lot of people that will feast with you, especially if you're buying the meal. But how many are gonna fast with you? You've got a lot of people that wanna celebrate and when's the next party? but how many people do you have that are really committed to serve with you? You got a lot of people around you that like to gossip, but how many people do you have that really pray with you? You got a lot of people that like to complain and you know who complains and what they always complain about, but how many people do you have around you that really wanna be part of the solution and take some action in Jesus' name? You see, who do you have around you? Mordecai and Esther They're gonna follow God when it gets dangerous and difficult. Have those people around you. You know, in Mark chapter nine, Jesus is empowering and the disciples are called to drive out the darkness and we're called to drive out the darkness. You're a culture changer. And the disciples didn't really understand that empowering from Jesus. And so when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. There was a demon in this man tormenting this man. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, 
His disciples asked him privately, right? Here's the debrief. We kind of asked this to Jesus. Uh, why couldn't we drive it out? The disciples were trying to drive the demon out and it just wasn't happening. And Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer, by prayer and fasting. There's spiritual power with prayer and fasting. God empowers you in amazing ways to drive out the darkness in the culture. You don't have to retreat. You don't have to conform. You don't have to run along with the latest apostasy. No, you can step into the darkness and shine the light. You can bring the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. You can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit as you rely on God. So drive out the darkness and bring the light. Bring the light. And the disciples were starting to get this. I think it involves prayer and fasting. I I think there's victories here that we haven't stepped into yet. N.T. Wright says it this way. Jesus's message and the message about Jesus was not about how to escape the world. It was about how the one true God had acted, had achieved a great victory, within the real world and how he was going to act in the future, changing it radically and forever. When Esther hears the decree that the little children are gonna be killed, she turns to the one who can rescue. And courageously, she does what she can do, trusting God with the results. Now, when you look at the Bible, Jesus is lifting up children. People saw children as second rate. Jesus says, that's not how it is. Let the children come to me and don't hinder them. The kingdom belongs to these. And I want us to think for a couple minutes about right now a generation that's 18 and younger in our country in what we're called to do. And as you think about this generation, I pray that our love would grow. Our love would be like Jesus's love. Now think about it from many different perspectives. When we say the sanctity of life, what we're saying is life is sacred. Children are sacred, students are sacred, babies are sacred. When we read the Bible in Psalm 139, we read that God knits us together in our mother's womb, that we have a maker and that relationship with the maker didn't start after birth, but actually in the womb, that we have a benevolent maker who has purpose for our life. We are all made in God's image. And the reality is, you know, how do we respond when there's tens of millions abortions in our nation? How do we respond as we think of the scripture in Psalm 139 and God's love? Well, what about as children grow older? How do we respond when we look at the foster care system? Don't you know that there doesn't have to be a foster care system in America? Do you know that we could love, the Bible says if you have religion, you love the orphans. I'll tell you, if we pray, if we love, if we support families, if we adopt, foster care, whatever God calls you to do, only what your name is on. But if we respond to this, at Grace, we have so many families who have adopted and stepped into foster care and many who are interested. And we're gonna gather together tomorrow night uh, on Zoom. You just text the word adoption to the church phone number. I'm so grateful for the generosity of this church that financially supports those who are interested in adoption. And we just had a couple that wanted to adopt internationally and we were able to give them a significant amount of money to help them so they can continue to move forward with their international adoption right now. It's a beautiful story what's happening here. Why? Because we can't just watch a bunch of orphans in a foster care system that's struggling so much. We can't just watch. And what about overseas? Sponsorship now, great relationships uh, that have started. And this is in Cambodia with over 200 kids. In the last few months, the sponsorships that have happened here at our church. Why? Because the needs we see in Cambodia right now that we couldn't just watch. So we thank God for what he's doing. He gets the glory. When I think about the next generation at our church, 
You know, we just had 200 kids. I'm not talking about students, kids, 200 kids on a Sunday. God keeps bringing more and more kids to Grace Community Church. And I'm so thankful that more and more of us are stepping up to saying, I can help out, I can serve behind the scenes, or I can assist, or I can teach. Why? Because God keeps bringing more and more kids from the community. What does that mean? More and more of us need to serve and love the kids, right? So we're listening to God in that regard. In the camps, Ingrid's story that we celebrate, she saw the need in the community, so she opened up her home and started making breakfast. What an awesome ministry. You know, not everything needs to be an official, formal ministry of Grace Community Church. Amen? Amen? Can we just look around and see what the needs are and maybe open up our home and have people over for breakfast and just see what God will do and we just bring love and build community? Like, we don't have to wait for a church program to drop all the time. Like, we're just loving people. And, and I see this in so many ways. The camps and what God's doing. Clean water. Uh, over 4,700 kids now overseas have clean water for the rest of their lives. Because why? You are walking, crawling, jogging, running, half marathons, giving, praying. And God is doing a remarkable work right now. Because locally and globally, we want to see kids provided for and loved. There's a ministry, the Gilgies are a family here at Grace. And there's a ministry, Compassion Washington, adorned in grace. And the focus of that ministry is to care for those who have been trapped in human trafficking. And you might not know this, but all around the sound this week, there'll be people who are trying to target kids and bring them in and captive in human trafficking. This whole week, it's gonna happen all across the sound. And so how do we respond? And there's a beautiful story that someone who is captive for 15 years, God uh, brought a detective for a rescue. And she's so grateful. She's been out of human trafficking for six years. She follows Jesus and loves Jesus. And she's just wanted to thank that detective the whole time. Well, she was able just recently to meet the detective and thank the detective for stepping in and being the one that God used to rescue her. And the detective loves Jesus and he just sees this as his ministry. And she is so grateful that he had the courage to not just watch, but to step in. You see, we can't, just watch. There's a joy in bringing clean water. There is a joy in seeing a child have a forever family. There is joy in seeing so many kids from our neighborhood right now come here and experience God loves. There is such a joy. It's God's joy and love for little children. And there's also a sense of, I have to, I have to. I cannot sit here and watch. When I look at the statistics of what's happening morally and spiritually, when I look at the kids right now that are growing up and the family situations they're in, when I look at the kids that have not heard about Jesus at all in our country, and that number just keeps going up and going up, I can't just sit back and watch apostasy and apathy and pretend like everything's good. I just can't do that. You see, I'm preaching Esther because I believe that's what's in her heart. I can't just watch the decree go down. I can't watch my people go down. And with joy and faith and with action, we're gonna be part of the solution because God is with us and he empowers us and we're gonna do it for the glory of God. (laughs) 
God works mightily through people who have a reliance on God and a willingness to suffer. You say, well, I was in until you said that suffering part. Can you unpack that a little more? Well, for Esther, it looked like this. She said, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And here it is. Even though it's against the law, I'll go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. Well, with God's help and for God's glory, we're gonna move past excuses, distractions, lies, empty routines, just kind of a fake, shallow, easy life. And we're gonna go deeper with God. Now, my dad sent me a video and he was on vacation. I know he likes scuba diving, but I didn't expect to see the video this last week where on vacation he was diving and underwater, there were sharks, not in a cage, and dad was feeding the sharks. And I'm glad he sent me that later. I didn't even wanna know he was gonna go do that. And I thought, dad, you surprised me. Dad, you went a little deeper. You were a little more committed to that than I will ever be. And different levels of commitment were kind of evident in this deep dive in feeding the sharks. Well, in the Bible, in different passages, you see different levels of commitment. And David was the king and he had the position, but during a time of battle, David was kind of selfish and into whatever's comfortable, didn't go out to the battle. In fact, not only did he not join the others, but then he saw Bathsheba and slept with her. She's pregnant. It's not her, his wife. She's married to Uriah. And now David, after rebelling against God, tries to come up with a cover-up plan. Have you ever tried to do a clean-up cover-up plan after you sin? Not too many people here probably, but just try to understand this cover-up plan. So David thinks, genius, I'll bring Uriah back from battle, and then Uriah can sleep with Bathsheba, and everyone will think that Uriah was the one who brought the pregnancy with Bathsheba together, the two of them. So this is what happens. After Uriah comes back from the battle, Uriah says to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are all camped in the open country. So how could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. He loves his wife, but his commitment is on a different level than David. And his commitment to God, his commitment to the others he's serving with, his commitment to his nation is on a different level. And I'm telling you, your commitment is gonna go deeper as you trust God than some people around you. And it doesn't mean you're better by any stretch of imagination. Stay humble, but the commitment Uriah has is he's gonna honor God. The commitment Uriah has is for integrity, And David is not gonna walk that walk at this point in his life. But I believe Uriah's commitment inspires David and David remembers. And later on in life, David will become a man after God's own heart and the commitment will be there. So what do you do when God calls you to a deeper commitment and a deeper purpose maybe than you've had in the past or the people around you have? Have you sensed God's calling in that? And are you willing to step out of a shallow and a soft commitment, a casual commitment? What about with God? What's your commitment? What's your commitment with your calling and your gifts? What about your commitment with your marriage? Those who are under 18 right now, your local church, reaching the community, where's your commitment level? 
And the place to start out is, God, I'm gonna surrender, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna rely on you. God, give me courage and a backbone. Fill me with your spirit. And where you see Esther's courage is in these two words, if I, if I. She knows in that culture, no one can approach a king without an invitation. She knows that so many people are killed by just showing up in front of the king. In that culture, you're only invited to come into his presence. You don't just show up. In fact, it's been a month since the king invited her and that's his wife. It's been a month since he invited her into his presence. And you know what the queen before Esther, she apparently disrespected the king and because of that, she's no longer queen. Esther knows if I approach the king, I'm risking for me, my people, my position, and my life. And you know what she says? If I. Let's say those two words together. If I. Yeah, one more time. If I. When she says, if I, she's saying, I'm willing to die. Do you know what you're willing to die for? Because if you don't, you might not live to the full in the ways God's called you to live. She says, if I die, somewhere along the line, I feel like we got tripped up and we started preaching some false gospel that if you follow Jesus, there's not gonna be much serving and suffering and sacrifice. Somewhere along the line, I think, and I don't know if we just wanted to keep people happy or thinking that's what's gonna keep them in church or that's what's gonna you know, make it most comfortable for everyone, but somewhere along the line, we dropped, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Somewhere along the line, we started teaching something false because the truth is we're saved by grace. It's an undeserved gift. Jesus paid the price. We paid nothing. He paid it all. But after we put our trust in him and follow him, you know what the cost is? It's whatever the cost is. That's what the cost is. And so when we hear, wait a second, I thought if you followed Jesus, I thought it's a little cost. I thought it's an optional cost. I thought you'd kind of shrink the cost. I thought the goal was just to keep life comfortable and follow Jesus, you know, have the eternal life insurance and then kind of do me. We miss something along the way. And if the church is gonna come alive, I believe We need to be willing to count the cost. What is God calling you to do and what's the cost? Esther knows the call and she says yes to the cost. And God is gracious. The king extends the scepter. And as the story plays out, there's gonna be a rescue and a decree. God's sovereignty and also the responsibility for Mordecai and Esther. I don't know how 2023 is gonna play out They fasted and prayed for three days. God has set aside this time for three weeks for us to fast and pray. I believe God is gonna empower and stir hearts. I believe God is gonna call you to a deeper commitment. I believe there's gonna be rescues. I believe there's gonna be healing and salvation. And I believe God is gonna do it for his glory. Let's respond knowing that we're never gonna have this opportunity again, knowing what's on the line, knowing what's going on in the world today, knowing all of those things, let's conclude, we can't just watch. We can't just watch. But for the glory of God, for the glory of God, we won't just watch. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Esther, how she inspires and challenges us. 
God, thank you that you call us to a deeper commitment. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't look around the culture or even the room to decide the if I question. Today in worship, God, we would say if I, if I, God. You've placed us for such a time as this. Lord, thank you for the opportunities we have. And we pray for your courage today. If I can glorify you, Jesus, I will glorify you with everything you've given me. If I can glorify you, God, if lives are rescued, if people can have clean water, if orphans can have forever families, if I can lead these kids to Jesus, if I, God, if I, and we pray in your name, Lord, amen.